If you remember, we left off. Um, Paul had left Ephesus, went through Macedonia, uh, went to, to Greece, and on the way back to Jerusalem, he stops by Troas. And that's the context of our passage today. In verse 7, we start. And on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together, and there was a certain young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep, and he fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. And when Paul went down and fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. And when he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. Amen. Uh, this passage in Troas, you have a group of people. Paul is, in a sense, just passing through. He's been to this region before, he's met with Christians here, and he's uh, started a, a movement of, of significance, of meaning. And he's wanting to go back to Jerusalem because he's always wanting to go to Rome eventually, but he realizes he needs to get back there. And because of the disturbance where he was before in Macedonia, he says, let me use some good judgment. Let's not make a straight course there because we're going to be intercepted by people. We could lightly put ourselves in harm's way. So let's go a different route. Let's go through Troas. And as Paul sends forth before him a group of people and Paul leaves after, he finally makes himself available there at Troas. And he arrives there, and he spends some time, and he's intending, I'm going to leave the next day, right? And so this is the first day of the week, which is a Sunday, a Sunday, right? It's the first day of the week, and he's saying, I'm going to leave tomorrow on Monday, and a group of people gather, right? So let me make some initial observations that you have on your sermon outlines. The first observation is this. They met on the first day of the week. This is one of the first mentions and indications that the church, the early church, began not to meet just on the Sabbath, the Saturday, the seventh day of the week, as was tradition, right from the Old Testament. But what we see happening is that Christians began to gather on the first day of the week. And that's where we gather, right? Modern day churches, we have this, maybe some of you never even knew why you gathered on a Sunday, right? Why the work week is the way that it is, right? And so traditionally, believers of God gathered on a Saturday. They rested. That was a Sabbath because that was like creation week. For six days, God created the, the earthly order. And on the seventh day, he rested to give that as a pattern to man. And those who believed in God used that as a reference point of, okay, on the Sabbath, we're not going to work. We're going to take God's command and we're just going to rest in him. Dedicate this day to worship to him. And that's why people gathered on the Sabbath. But when Jesus ministered on the earth, he was crucified. And, you know, we know that, that story of Good Friday and going from there all the way to Easter Sunday. And there began to be a shift in perspective, at least in the early church of believers and followers of Christ, that the first day of the week was a holy day. 
that that became more of a significant day than the last day of the week. Now, not to say that the Sabbath is not significant. Jesus, Paul, all of these folks in the New Testament, we've read time and time again on the Sabbath. They went into the temple, they read the scriptures, and they taught. So they kept on meeting on the Sabbath. Right? So that wasn't a, a, a routine or a, a part of their week that was taken out. But what we begin to see here is that they also began to meet on the first. And they met in the evening because they're intending to break bread. And so it's dinner time. And a group of Christians in Troas, they gather together. And as they are breaking bread, we see that Paul is also speaking. Okay? And so my first observation is that Sunday was the meeting point. It's not a corporate gathering. It's a small gathering in a home. Right? They were in an upper room. Many lamps there. It says that they were on the third floor. Okay? So it's a home. Not a temple. The second observation is that they met in a home. Okay? And so what we're doing is we're, we're seeing the context of worship to God, not removed from the sanctuary, but in addition to worshiping in the temple of God, we find that Christians began to gather in the home to worship Him as well. Okay? Maybe you want to see that as a modern day small group, house church, what we have. And so you have the corporate temple gathering on a Sabbath. And on the first day of the week, what we see happening is them gathering in a home. Third observation is they broke bread. And I mean, uh, if you think about it, I mean, uh, yeah, like how do relationships deepen? You know, how does community build? I mean, quite honestly, when you start eating together, like relationships, relationships tighten up, right? They tighten up a lot, right? And so we see them meeting on Sunday, they're meeting in a home, and they're eating together. This fellowship, this shared table, is a significant part of Christian community, of following Christ with a group of people. Okay? That shared experience together. Tremendously important. And what we find is the centrality of the teaching of Scripture in this gathering. Okay? So Sunday, they're meeting in a home, they're eating together, and... They're learning the word. Paul is speaking, teaching scripture to them. And we see the centrality of, of, of that in their gathering. And so I think these are some important observations as you look at the text right now. Just Paul's in Troas. I'm going to leave on Monday. And uh, there's an intention probably why he did that. Because he wanted to be together with them on the first day of the week. Okay? So he chose Monday to leave and he's gathered on a on a on a Sunday, and what's significant, Sunday is a work week in, in, in this context, in this time. Sunday is a, I mean, it's a work day. Right? So they gathered at night because they've been working all throughout. And, and you kind of look into it, there's no reason why. There seems to be a reason why Eutychus was tired, right? Probably had a full work day or whatever he was doing, right? And they're gathered in the evening and Paul is, you know, they gathered for dinner and Paul's like prolonging his message until midnight and this kid is like, when is this guy ever, he's long-winded, when is this guy ever going to end, right? And so just another different, you know, 
fifth observation, it's kind of okay to be sleepy. I mean, I see you sometimes, you know, fighting those, those heavy eyelids, right? And I get that, okay? Okay? I, I understand that. But what we see here is that Eutychus, this, this young man, he's wanting to be a part of this gathering, right? Paul is speaking. He's l- intending to leave the next day. And so he's just speaking a lot of things that are in his heart, right? on this last evening. And Eutychus, like, he's like wanting to stay. Can, you ever been in a situation where you're just like fighting to, like, to stay awake? Like, man, it is like torture, right? And then you have the bobblehead, like, you know, when you, you're like, right? It's just you, your neck breaks and you like, you pick it back up, right? And so Eutychus, he's sitting on this windowsill on the third floor. There's no screens or windows here. It was just an open opening of the house on this third floor. And it says that sleep overwhelms him. It overcomes him. And he, and he falls down three stories. And scripture says that he's perceived dead. That he actually most likely died. Right? And you can imagine the commotion here. Right? I mean, we've had, uh, like, uh, one of the, the kids at our church, uh, one of our church members, uh, like, th- their son fell out of a window on the first floor. Right? I mean, think about that. But falling out of the third floor. You know, Jenny knows a, a friend of hers where a kid fell out of, like, I think it was the second story. And it resulted in severe issues with this child, right? And so falling out of the third floor, probably 30 feet up, falling to the ground, however he did, he fell dead. And so this entire meeting stops for a second. Everybody runs downstairs, Paul included, and it says he threw himself on the boy. Right? There's, there's a sense of heartbreak. There's a sense of passion. There's a sense of a great burden that was in his heart. Right? And so he throws himself on the boy. And I can imagine it's not really there, but the entire time he's beseeching God, God, have mercy on this kid. Right? I don't think necessarily he felt that it was his fault. I mean, as a preacher, he put him to sleep and, you know, and, and, and whatnot. He fell out of the window. But it was more of the compassion for this child, for this young boy who wanted to be a part of this gathering, had this long day, stayed together in the group, overwhelmed by just the natural causes of the human body, falls out of a window, lies dead. Paul runs down, throws himself on him. And I can imagine an embrace and a prayer, an intercession for this young life. God, have mercy. Bring his life back into him. And something happens. He moves. He breathes. Everyone is astonished. And that astonishment turns to pure joy. This kid is alive. And then what happens? They just go back upstairs. They start eating again. And he starts teaching again. What an interesting and powerful setting. Right? This midnight gathering that I can imagine went for nearly 12 hours. Whatever time they gathered to break bread that evening. Paul prolonging his message until midnight. Him falling dead out of the window after him being revived. Them coming back up and continuing to eat throughout the night and sharing the word. It says he spoke until daybreak. Likely around 6 a.m. And so this gathering on this Sunday was happening for nearly 12 hours. Talk about a marathon. Right? 
And I'm sure that there was a tremendous amount of, of joy in this gathering because of the important person that Paul was for this community, right? But in this setting, let me make a couple of main points. First is this. Too often, I think, Christian community or life in Christ is this loose connection based on what we believe, right? And so my point is, life in Christ is more than a loose connection of common belief. That it's more than this. Okay? Because I, I think, especially, I think it's exacerbated in our modern generation of Christianity, especially in America, where there are so many expressions of worship, so many denominational divisions, and just, quite honestly, so many options out there. Right? With, with the plethora of options out there, we seem to want to gravitate and stick to a place where we just have a similar set of, of what we believe. We're kind of in agreement of how we like to worship, how we like to receive teaching, how we like to do that. And if we're in agreement in that way, to us, that became a Christian community, right? But I, I want to say that life in Christ is so much more than how we worship, than the music that we like, the teaching that we seem to gravitate towards, that church is more than a weekly event. And especially in our day and age where the mid to the large size church is the dominant type of worship expression out there where people gravitate to, especially because in our technologically savvy uh, social media world that you can get a product out there that is so enticing, right? And now, this is not to say that one is better or worse or to, to tear one down, but I am just kind of stating in the expression of modern Christianity in this land, in this land, more often than not, I think Christians are seeking an event on Sundays. That's a partial indictment, but more of an observation. That, I, I, I mean, I'm a culprit myself. I've been to large churches. I've visited them. I've, in these places, I'm, I'm going and I, I appreciate the worship. It's like, you know, you know when like, you, you go to like, a wedding, you like, grade the food and all of that stuff. You go to the church, you do the same thing. Like You're grading the worship. You're grading the message. You're grading the fellowship. and You're, you're putting all that up, right? And that experience of what you have on that Sunday is what entices you, what touches your heart, and that's what brings you back. And for the broad majority, surveys are clear, clear across the board is that a person wants to be anonymous in the beginning of when they go to a church. Right? And in terms of that, that awareness, I know you're there, and I, I think I, I kind of want to connect, and we kind of kind of slip in and slip out. And... That's more of a byproduct, I think, of where our culture is today and what we see happening. If you look at the marketplace, whether you want to see the phasing out of the smaller businesses and uh, the emergence of massive business, whether it be from what Walmart was, even before that, like Kmart, but now like Amazon, and just the phasing out of smaller expressions in lieu of or in favor of the largest. Right? And so this 
just, I'll, I'll go where there's a, just a, a common belief. Now, that, that's important, right? Like what we believe, our, our statement of faith, our doctrine, our, our belief in God, how we want to experience that, that definitely is important. But what I'm saying in this first point is that it's more than that. It's, it's more than just an acknowledgement of a similar statement of faith. And it dives so much deeper. It's more than hearing a sermon, right? It's, it's more than that. And I, 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 I get it. Like, I understand how trends go. And we're just catching messages. If I can't make it on Sunday, I'll catch the podcast or the YouTube video or the live stream. And we, we've reduced the Sunday experience of, of just intertwining our worship and our life to just catching a message. As long as I got the message, I heard the message, I'm good for this week. Now, not to say that everybody believes that or thinks that, but it definitely is a common practice. And so I want to say that it's much more than that. And, and I see that here in this passage. I see how life in Christ is intertwined, interwoven, overlapping, and so many things are happening. Because if we come to believe that that our, that our Christian life or life in Christ, our, our church community, is based on just what we believe. I think it leads to intellectual obesity. And what I mean by that is like, you know, like we're, we're getting all of this spiritual biblical information. We're consuming a lot of food without a lot of activity. Right? And so I'm saying it's more than that. And what I do want to say is that Life in Christ is an investment in a deep overlap of life. And so it's not just an ascent of what a group of people believe together. That it's an overlap of life. That it's in an investment of one life into the other. That there is a sense of not just synergy, but unity. That there is something happening in this community that goes beyond. We believe the same thing, but we're sharing life together. And this has always been the identity of the church. This has always been its foundation. Because let me say this, Christian community has always formed around mission, not learning. Always. It has never just been about the reading of Scripture. It has never been just about somebody lecturing or teaching the Word. It has always been about now that we have that Word, now that we know what Scripture says, what are we doing together with it? Everything that Jesus said to empower His disciples, all of the parables that He taught, all of the emphasis and authority on the kingdom of heaven that He relayed to all of His listeners, led them to making disciples, to being witnesses, to having impact together. The New Testament letters of Paul, of Peter, of James, whoever they might be, it talks about that community. Paul writing letters painstakingly, whether from jail or on a boat, he was writing these letters to churches to communities that he was invested in that he wanted to go back to that were planted by the hand of God and he had every intent to want his life to intersect to overlap to intertwine to be united with those churches because Christian community has always been about the mission about the reason of overlap for life not just on hearing a couple of 
key points. And as we see Paul here in Troas, in this marathon gathering, that we see some dynamics of this. Hebrews chapter 10. Not giving up meeting together. Right? Don't, don't give up on it. Don't give up on it. I think this is prophetic for our generation. I've shared this before. The average American attends church 1.5 times a month in America. 1.5, less than half of the weeks. Because it's just so easy to miss. I, I get it. Life's busy. There's sports on the weekend. I, I have a work week that's erratic. I don't have a protected two-day week. And, if I, and I, I get that. That's why churches offer services Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. And they have midweek stuff. And there's all of these options. Because if you can't make it on this time slot, just get it another way, another vehicle, however you can. And the problem with that is then, it reinforces if I just get the message, if I just catch it online, if I can just rush in for that little window and escape out of there because I got to get to where I got to go, do what I got to do. It reinforces that it's just about catching the message and then leaving. And here is the deterioration of the foundation of Christian community then. And that's what we need to fight against. And this is prophetic for our generation. Don't give up on it. I know it's going to be hard to meet together. I know there are going to be sacrifices that need to be made, feet that need to be just dug into the ground if you want to fight for this. But you need to fight for it. Don't give up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That was the admonishment of the writer of Hebrews. That there is value in gathering. And so today is not about showing the pitfalls of having a weak understanding of Christian community, but it's about understanding the strength of what it produces. Because truth be told, we know this, right? In a committed group of a small gathering in the New Testament, we see the world flipped upside down. From a band of disciples that grew to a couple of dozen we see the world changed. That history is defined by the advent of Christ and it will be culminated in His return. And as we see what Christianity has done, it has been because of a community on mission. Not a community that assented to a same or similar belief, but has taken that belief interwoven and intersected their lives, brought them together to make a mightier force than the sum of its parts. And an amazing outcome has come about. And that's continuing to grow. And so this message is about fighting for that, not giving up, not losing hope and striving for that community. Understanding its power. And so as... We're going to continue to, to go through Acts and, you know, finish this out. But as we kind of s stop in on each episode of, the, of these journeys that Paul has been on, as you see these little tiny windows, hopefully you grab something out of there and you don't allow this to just pass and you allow it to, to sink deep. And so I begin to close. Praise team, you guys come back. 
I think there's the logical two statements that I can give you in conclusion to this message. And the first would be simply to elevate the place of Christian community in your weekly life. To elevate it. And it's just a starting there. And it's kind of like Eutychus or that gathering. Like, man, I got work tomorrow morning. <laughs> you know, I get it. Like, if we're in California here, we got to fight traffic to do all that stuff. And it's not easy to commit, right, to that gathering. And maybe this was significant because Paul was in town. But I do want to say, I'm sure that this spirit was evident even if he wasn't. Right? But when, when individuals elevate the priority, the power, and the place of that Christian community in one's weekly life, we begin to fight to, to secure that in our lives. That, that this is important to me. And as soon as we begin to say that something's important to us, we begin to, to, to put our lives in that space. And so once you elevate it, then I think just the natural way to, to lead into the next one is just in our context here to connect to a house church. Right? Because I, I think this passage that we read today is not about corporate gathering. This is about small group gathering. I see this happening in a home, breaking bread, and it's happening in an evening. And there's something more organic here. Right? And the early church, we see it exploding in these various pockets throughout the regions that it was reaching here. And these dynamics of what was happening in these homes, in these gatherings, this, this was the strength of that community, not just what was being taught in the temple. And so I, I want to admonish, be a part of a smaller context, not just seeking out a, a Sunday service or event or, or grabbing a message, but realize that following Christ entails so much more than that. Can I get an amen? Amen.